Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. Hello there, Shelly. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. John and I are heading to Orlando next week. You are? Yeah, from Thursday to Sunday because we're running from a what? race. To run a race. The big race. The big no 13 way. mile race. I'm so proud of you. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere to race anywhere. I'm not. Nope. We're doing we're t- we're doing it like because normally pre-COVID, we would do like 15 to 20 races in a year. That Crazy. was like our average. And now we this lot. year, because then COVID canceled like two seasons. And then this year we're only doing like four or four or five only. Yeah. I've done one in my life. So <laughs> here you go. That was with you. <laughs> so, that was just so fun. Yeah. Um, this week we're speaking with Marissa Hughes from repair while parenting. She is a therapist and a parenting coach, and she's going to talk about how parents can heal themselves and connect with their children. Ah, I like that. I want to repair myself and connect with my, no, I have teenagers. I don't want to connect with them. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're just like, I really don't want to know what's going on in your brain. Yes. Sometimes like, almost all the time. You're <laughs> <laughs> so dramatic too. Like Brooke was, she went to school yesterday and she's like texting. She text. she didn't text me. She texts John because John is the softy and John will give in and like, uh-huh. she's like, I just feel bad. I just, my head, I just feel like I'm walking very slowly and my head hurts. And, and she's, she's like, I'm having a horrible day and it's just spiraling down into a shark infested stream. And I'm like, you are so dramatic. <laughs> and guess what he did? Although, he went, I have to say, up. what was that? He went and picked her up. No way. Mm-hmm. He gave it. Aww. What well, were you going to say? I mean, that's sweet though, too, that she feels like she can. I mean, it might not be the way you want it, but I don't know. I think it's sweet. Oh, I was low-key <laughs> with it. It's. I just thought it was funny. It was like, oh, you, you don't text me because you know I'm going to be like, tough it up and go back to class. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know, but it's sweet that he's been in the the kids' lives for so long. They mm-hmm. feel safe going to him. And I like the fact that he's merciful, like he's going to give in. It's kind of sweet. Yeah. Someone asked him. <laughs> yeah. Someone has to be nice around here. going <laughs> to be me. <laughs> I always use up my nice quota with my, my clients. So <laughs> time I'm home, I'm like, you know out what? Of I have to say, I can totally relate to that. I, I have, I have been like, da, 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 come home. And she just looks at me the wrong way. I'm like, okay, we are not friends. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I want to go back to work. How's that? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. All right. So let's talk Here's- about our favorite of the week. All right. Ooh, I got a good one. All right. You go first then. I'm so excited. I thought about it because now I want to go buy everything to make them. (laughs) Apple cider, um, caramel apple sangria. 
So there are plenty of recipes online. It is mm-hmm. just a delicious fall cocktail to make, especially if you're having like company and you want to do something special yep. or you just don't have company and you just want to taste something delicious. Make mm-hmm. yourself a caramel apple sang- sangria, caramel apple sangria, lots and lots of recipes online. Delish. Mm-hmm. My confession is I don't like pumpkin spice, but I love apple, apple cider, everything. I just, I can't Me get into the pumpkin. Too. I can't pumpkin pie, pumpkin co- I just can't get into it. I love pumpkin pie and that's it. I, it's <laughs> apple for me, apple cider, apple, anything, cran mm. apple, but not pumpkin spice. Mm. All right. Well, you're going to have to send me a link to the recipe you used and I'll put it in the show notes. You will love it. Okay. I will. Okay. Um, my favorite of the week is another book. <laughs> no way. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Shelly, I'm not really sure why you don't live in a library because that would suit you perfectly. I mean, oh, I wait know a minute. It. You're turning your house into a library. That's what I was right. about we're, to say. Like, sounds like we're going to have, so all the kids are getting to the point where they're going to start moving out and all their bedrooms are going to turn into yes. libraries. No, legit. Like that, that's something I, I even, I'm not even joking when I say that to them. Oh, I was joking, but. No, I'm serious. Like I I tell Ivan, like, dude, the second you move out, I'm building a library because they're all complaining. Like your books are everywhere. Your books are everywhere. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stop buying books because right. I work 90 hours a week. Just let me read my books. (laughs) Right. That's your thing. Yeah. Good for you. This is actually a parenting book. So it's called why, why babies sleep matters. Um, and it is all about the science and evidence and research behind baby sleep, infant sleep, and what is actually happening to your baby when they sleep and, um, how to help them learn to sleep better, quote unquote, better, um, how to support their sleep, things like that. And I like it. It's a, it's a nice thin book. So it's a quick read, but it gives you the actual like science behind the suggestions that she's making. I like that because yeah. when you can see the why it helps you to understand, not be less stressed, um, which is huge because parents think their babies need to be sleeping immediately through the night and they, mm-hmm. it's stressful if they don't for them. Right. Um, so if you can understand the why that should help. And then when you also realize that that will change, that will help as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. you will. It's like sleep with kids is like seasons almost. Sometimes right. you're just you're getting a ton of sleep, and then other times you're getting no sleep, and it does that doesn't really even change as they get older. I mean, it does in some ways, but sometimes you're up waiting for teenagers to come home. Yep, you know when they're they're not home by their curfew and right and not answering their phone because why am I paying for a phone if you are not even answer it? I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> <laughs> Right. No experience there at all. No angst in that. (laughs) So um, let's move on to our question of the week. Okie doke. This week's question that I got was what is the best bottle for a breastfeeding baby? Um, Uh, Whatever bottle your baby will take. (laughs) Yeah. I tend to like the um, there's three bottles that I carry and have on me at all times for like bottle right. consults or um, if we have to supplement. It's the Dr. Brown's 
classic nipple and a zero or a one and the even flow balance and the lancinomama, which they did not like have it. when I was having babies. No, haven't even heard of it. Do you know right? what I used with my kids? Do you remember what? those old Playtex drop-in Me liners? too. That's, That's what, what I, I use. That's what I use was yeah. a Playtex liner bottles. Yes. Yep. And I don't think they even make them anymore. I don't think they do either. I haven't I don't seen know. them in a I long time. Yeah. I yeah. haven't either. I haven't even heard of anyone using them in a while. Aww. Right. Because when I was, right. when I was having babies, they were very popular. And like, if I went to the mom's groups, like all the moms were using that, but now I haven't seen them in years. Yeah. I haven't either. That's an interesting point. Now that I, I went to Target today too. And I'm like, huh. I didn't look. Well, of course I wasn't even thinking about it, but now that I know it's on my mind, I'm going to take a peek the next time I go. Yeah. They also, Aww. I also use like, um, the even flow breast pump, which they do not make anymore. And that thing was a piece of crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think if yeah. I didn't have such elastic tissue, it probably would have just yanked my nipples right off. It was such a, it's such a uh, horrible machine and yeah. I did fine with it because I had oversupply yeah. and who cares, but right. Right. Funny. But and for somebody have, who doesn't, like, yeah. I feel old talking like, oh, back in my day, they didn't have these things, but this was only 11 years ago. I know, but things change so fast though. Yeah. Things are always changing as far as having, I see things that people I'm like, wow, they didn't have anything like that when Mm -hmm. I had my babies. I would have loved that. Yeah. I would have loved the Haka. Thanks for bringing that out when I was done with kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I would avoid if you're, if you're talking for a breastfed baby, especially if you're having latch difficulties, I would avoid any bottle that has like shoulders or a really, really wide base with a skinny nipple that sticks up because that will often encourage chomping and those nipples tend to be fast. So unfortunately, a lot of the bottles that are marketed to be quote unquote, like breasts, like the Como Tomo or the Tommy Tippy um, can be for a lot of babies, the worst bottle to use. So yeah. don't, don't pay attention to marketing. <laughs> Right. Pay attention to lactation consultants. Yes. Listen to us. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And next up, we will be talking with Marissa. Sounds good. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information. And also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solace webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. I'm so excited to announce this week's guest. It's Marissa Hughes from Marissa Hughes Counseling. Marissa is a perinatal perinatal mental health therapist who specializes in helping parents heal generational trauma. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So uh, there's so much... 
depth to the work I do because there's so many different pieces of the passion in my life as a therapist. And so I'd say I started my practice focusing 10 years ago on trauma and PTSD and helping people really unravel their trauma history and become empowered to be the people that they want to be despite what they've been through. And, you know, that has now been layered in with my own experience of parenting, motherhood, and my motherhood journey. And so I've sought a lot of extra training and expertise in the parenting area. I'm now a certified perinatal mental health therapist. And I use all of these skills to really help parents both through, through all phases of the motherhood journey, from infertility to loss, to birth trauma, to postpartum adjustment, and then into the parenting world. So it's really the full gamut, if you will. It's kind of a mouthful, but I'm really very passionate about helping people unravel trauma and break cycles so that they can parent with intention and also enjoy the journey along the way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, trauma, especially um, like generational trauma, maybe it's been around for a long time in the therapy world, but in terms of like mainstream world, I feel like it's not talked about a lot until recently. I've started to hear more about it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So I think, you know, when we think about trauma, I just want to first kind of add that we think of things that are major, like horrific accidents, mass shootings, all of these things, which are trauma, but other things that are trauma are not feeling loved as a child or having to move around a lot and not really having traction in a social network or not feeling like your feelings mattered. So, you know, trauma is this full continuum of experiences that shape our life. And so generational trauma is when our history, our family history, our generations before us have had trauma, and then that passes and trickles down. And so sometimes that looks like feelings, low self-esteem, lack of self-worth, feeling anxiety, depression, feeling like you have nowhere to go to or no one who really validates your emotions. And so unraveling that, a lot of the work that I do with my clients is helping them look at what is the stuff that's not even theirs, right? Like, where's the anger that came from their parents or their grandparents? Or where did they learn not to feel or express their feelings? And then how do we heal that? We heal that through reparenting ourselves in the way that we deserve to be loved. And what that does is it then creates space for us to parent from this place of wholeness and self-love and self-acceptance. And that then transmutes into how we parent our children so that they grow up believing that they're worthy. You know, worthiness, I think, is one of the big roots of what happens when we come from trauma is that is a piece that's missing. And so the goal is to grow and develop your, your sense of worthiness and then pass that on to children, as well as this sense of, I can handle whatever comes up because trauma is all about lack of control or feeling powerless. And so we want to really feel empowered, work through our stuff, heal, and then help our children feel empowered to make their own decisions in a conscious way as well. And how does the trauma pass down? Can you clarify that? Like, is it passed down because of the behavior that each parent models for the next generation? Is it passed down through like genetics and epigenetics, a little bit of both? I'd say a 
combo of both. I think, you know, kids witness and see what we're modeling, whether we think they do or not. But it also comes from the fact that our children tend to trigger our inner parts within us that are not necessarily healed. So an example of that is, you know, if you grew up feeling like you didn't have a voice and you weren't allowed to get angry or express yourself, and then you have a two or three-year-old throwing a tantrum, you can feel really triggered or powerless by their tantrum and feel disrespected or like there's no space for your feeling or even bearing witness to them having big feelings can trigger your own stuff. So, you know, we are naturally triggered by our children in a way that pushes us to grow and see where we have some gaps that could use some healing. And so a lot of reparenting is looking at, wow, that really triggered you. Like, what's that about? And then exploring who's that inner child within you that didn't get to be angry that now is looking at this child having your child having a tantrum and that's really uncomfortable to hold space for so we learn to first hold space for our own selves our own inner parts and ego this is based on ego state intervention which was one of my most favorite trauma modalities Um, and it's really about looking at the parts of us that need support and love and didn't get that necessarily growing up. And so when we validate those parts of us, they're no longer triggered. And then we can present as our adult wise mind or our best self um, with our kids in such a different way. It sounds like it might be quite a process and a lot of work too. It's definitely work in the beginning. I think it's one of those things like riding a bike, like the more you do it, the more it becomes natural. In the beginning, I have created a process called Repairing While Parenting, which is my Instagram handle, um, as well as VOC Communication, which is a piece of Repairing While Parenting. And it really teaches people how to tune into their inner world, how to check in with themselves, nurture, validate themselves, and then align with the person that they want to be in the world now in the present moment so that they're not living through their past experiences because that's what generational trauma really is it's it's when we live through the lens of trauma versus the lens of present safety present experience and who we want to be it's really about taking control back of your life Mm -hmm. right yeah I grew up in that like the how my family when I was growing up we were yellers like when people would get mad people would yell Mm -hmm. and it took me it was so hard because I knew I didn't want to yell at my kids. I didn't want to be like a yeller. And it was so hard to like hold that back and not yell. And I messed up so many times and I still mess up. Um, And when I do end up yelling, I I try to apologize after (laughs) my kids. Yeah. Well, that's powerful because you're modeling humanness too, Mm -hmm. you know? And so yelling is one of the big things I work with a lot of clients around is, you know, well, what triggered the yelling? What's underneath the yelling? Is it a sense of frustration? Is it a sense of powerlessness? Is it feeling disrespected? What is it within you that triggers the yelling? And part of it is, I just learned that that's how people communicate, you know? And so it's unraveling all of that based on individually what each person needs and then it's also we're human so one of the biggest pieces of the work that I do with mothers of all phases of the journey is this idea of good enough parenting being good enough right like the good enough mother and there's a lot of therapeutic evidence supporting that good enough is really good enough it's not about being perfect and so you know it's recalled repairing while parenting for a reason because there's need for repair right and so even when you do if you know in your words like like mess up or yell and when you don't want to 
it's okay to own it and to say, you know, this is not how I want to behave. I'm really working on doing better. I'm sorry that I yelled at you. You know, really owning it is also really powerful modeling for our children. And it's also modeling that all feelings are welcome, right? We live in a society, I think, that tells us we're supposed to seem really put together and happy and fine and perfect. And then we have social media kind of making it seem like everyone else is happy, fine, and perfect. And the truth is a lot of people are yelling behind the scenes or worse because they don't know what to do to regulate their emotions. And so emotion regulation and then allowing permission to feel is really valuable in how we break these cycles of trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love what you said about social media, because I feel like, I, I mean, I have a feeling that parental guilt has always been a thing. Um, but you know, back when my mom was raising me, no one was like in our house watching to, she wasn't under the scrutiny of, you know, people that follow her on social media or whatever. And I feel like, and I say this as someone who love, I love social media. I'm definitely a consumer of social media, but I have to be careful about who I follow because, and that's something that took me a long time to figure out, like if I'm following someone that does not make me feel good, or it just makes me feel bad about myself, it's time to unfollow them. But I feel like the mom guilt or the parenting guilt is much worse because of social media, because you're, you know, you already go in feeling like you're not sure if you know what you're doing or bad that you yell, but then you go on Instagram, you see all these quote unquote, perfect families and they're, you know, white, Mm -hmm. impossibly clean homes and (laughs) they're impossibly clean clothes and their makeup. And, and you're like, okay, not only am I a quote unquote bad parent because I yell at my kids, but I can't even get my shit together enough to like mm-hmm. have a clean house. And if that's yeah. all you know, and I feel like as as a late millennial, most of the families I work with are millennials. If you grew up seeing that, it's it's almost like you don't know what normal is because mm-hmm. the only place it was modeled for you is in your home. And if you weren't happy in your home because you were always getting yelled at or something then you think, oh, if I have that impossibly clean house and if I'm always smiling and I'm always like made up and looking good, then then that's the key to being like a good parent and to being happy. And it's really not. And it kind of sets you up for failure and then guilt because you didn't achieve that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the first year of parenting especially is is filled with such a sense of having to do it right because it's this whole new role of taking on and learning how to do something that you've never necessarily done before. And so we look to the books, to social media, to all of these places to get a feel for what it looks like for other people to be doing it. But the truth is we're seeing an illusion on social media. We're seeing you know, what what the highlight reel is or what people want to show. And maybe they do only show a picture of the clean part of their house. And then the whole background behind that picture is a mess, you know? And so Mm. I think for some parents that do have a clean house, that works for them. But I think most of the time, you know, we're struggling to focus on things that are sometimes more important, like staying connected with our children, being present with them. And I think social media can get in the way sometimes of being trapped in this comparison wheel and then always feeling less than. And the truth of the matter is, and I think especially as a therapist, because I see so much of it behind the scenes, you know, like I know that people are even posting how beautiful and wonderful their life is. And then really they feel like they're crumbling in the background. And so Mm -hmm. the more we can get real and use social media as a positive platform, the better. But I think right now, unfortunately, 
it is really important who you follow and screening what kind of messaging you're taking in. It's so easy to compare yourself against other people and feel like you're not doing good enough, but remembering that you're only seeing a little snapshot of what they want to show and how they want to feel they're doing in the world. I remember recently posting, or not that recently, I haven't posted as many pictures of my family too much lately, but I posted a picture of my house with the mess behind me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to rock it. Like, it's not always clean. It's not always pretty, but I'm here bonding with my kids. And that's what's important to me. And that's the thing is I say to me, everyone has different values. Everyone has different things. For some, clutter, for example, can be a trigger for anxiety. And so, you know, we also assume that clean means something that they're better than us versus maybe for them, it's how they soothe their anxiety. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've had a girlfriend come over, we had them for dinner and she was cleaning my table. I'm so happy to do it. And I'm like, if you want to do it, go for you. Good for you. That's not my jam, but if it makes you calm, you clean that table, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. We all have different things that are soothing to us. And so when we interpret them as of someone else being better than us versus seeing our own strengths and identifying those parts of our that we like, which is really about self-compassion versus comparison, mm-hmm. so much can change. Yeah. I bet you were like, oh, I've got a closet over there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you want to go upstairs and keep going? I've got some windows you can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that reminds me like a, like a long time ago. So maybe like 10 years ago, I don't even think Instagram or maybe Instagram had just come out, but I was on Facebook and This was the part where I don't know why this memory always sticks with me. And I think it was the first time I realized like, oh, people are struggling just like I am. I'm not the only one struggling. But someone posted a picture of a closet in their home that was just completely like overfilling, spilling out in the hot, like a complete mess. And she posted it on Facebook and she's like, please tell me I'm not the only one with a closet like this in my house. Mm. And I think that was the first time I saw someone post real stuff like that. Like, Hey, like the, anybody else. And everybody was like responding in the comments with pictures of their messy closet. And it was just such a moment for me. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah I have that closet too. And I thought it was the only one. And I thought it was cause I was too lazy to like clean it up. I'm seeing that a lot more too. Like people are posting a lot more stuff about like, this is, you know, my life is a little bit of a shit show and that's okay. In terms of mm-hmm. like, I find it hard to, you know, have everything neat and clean, but it's still a problem, even though it's solely moving away from like picture perfect content to Mm -hmm. this is like real life content. Yeah. You know, one of the things, a few things that popped to mind for me with the social media comparison is things like when people are struggling with infertility, it's like so hard and so painful for so many women and men going through it to see birth announcements, pregnancy announcements, all of these things, because it just feels like everyone's getting the one thing you want. And, you know, you're skewed in what you're seeing naturally because that is triggering for you. And so I think there's different phases in our life where 
giving yourself permission to unfollow, even if you love your friend who just had the baby, you know, it doesn't mean you don't love them and share joy with them, but it's also okay to protect your inner world and to not be exposing yourself to things that feel triggering. Mm -hmm. Another one that comes up a lot for me since I've run birth trauma groups is, you know, we see the picture with the baby and the, you know, the, the details of the day they were born and their weight and, you know, mommy and baby are doing great. And, you know, the truth is, 45%, if not more, of women experience their birth as traumatic. And mm -hmm. so that to me is a staggering statistic to then in comparison, see how not, probably majority of people who do post their birth announcements, all they show is this picture perfect, pretty looking situation. Their hair is done, their makeup's done, or it's just the baby and it's positive words of I couldn't have loved you more. And that also creates this sense of comparison of like, oh my God, what if I didn't love my baby right away? Or what if birth was horrific for me and now I feel mm -hmm. really alone in that? And so, you know, I try to talk about kind of these taboo topics, if you will. Like right now, my whole month of October, I'm focusing on perinatal loss which, you know, is really uncomfortable for people to talk about, even though one in four pregnancies end in a loss. It's very mm -hmm. common. And yet it's this taboo thing we're not supposed to talk about. It's, you know, grief that's not necessarily validated or normalized in society. And so, you know, I think shedding light on these things and creating space for people to share their experiences and their stories it allows us to be more real and more seen and also to feel less alone because I, mm -hmm. I think so many times women and men feel alone. You know, even postpartum depression, men experience that too. Men experience postpartum anxiety as well. And one of the biggest factors of predicting of them doing that is if their partner, their wife or their birthing partner has postpartum depression or anxiety or mood adjustment. And so I think even normalizing that around men is really important. I include that in the work that I do is including the couple, working with them as a unit and as a family to get adjusted because there's just stigma all around and, you know, in, in all the spaces. But I think in this parenting world, there's just so much expectation versus reality that needs to be kind of smashed and rewritten, if you will, you mm -hmm. know, based on authenticity and breaking the comparison cycles. Right. Yeah, 100% agree. And I agree about the like the birth images and stuff too. I, I live in an area where home birth is very popular. So I always see like a lot of pictures of a home birth being posted or videos or whatever. And it's always, I don't want to say like the closest word I can come to is like glamorized, right? Because they'll post pictures of them like being supported by their partner in a birth tub. But did you also mention that you were like puking for 15 minutes before you, before you got in that nice tub with, right. the cute, you know what I mean? So it was, so it's, it's almost like you want to, you were almost pressured to present that image because that's what we take in. Um, I see it a lot with breastfeeding too. And oftentimes yeah. I will have to tell moms, like, just, just hide certain people. If you have low milk supply and your friends are posting pictures of their huge freezer stashes, which by the way, is not even necessary. You know, just hide, you don't have to unfriend them or unfollow them, but you can hide them, especially on Facebook. I think it gives you the option. You can hide them for two weeks mm -hmm. just to take a break from that because it's not what you need right now. And I always, yeah. I remember working with a twin mom who had low milk supply and she ended up bringing it up and breastfed exclusively for a long time. But I remember she was, they were born premature. So she was having a struggle and she's like, well, I'm just seeing all these pictures 
online of my friends nursing their babies so easily. And I yeah. just told her like, don't fall into the comparison game. Who was it that said comparison is a thief of joy? What did I say? I think it was Theodore Roosevelt. If I'm, I'm going to say Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And there I go making it masculine <laughs> when it's feminine. Oh, oh, so sorry. We're supposed Eleanor to be tearing Roosevelt. down the patriarchy here, Marissa. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> so I said that to her and she, and the next time I saw her, she's like, every time I start to feel myself getting upset, that, you know, my friend can nurse her baby so easily. I just repeat those words in my head, like comparison yes. is a, the joy. Like you are on your own journey. It doesn't look like anybody yeah. else's. And if you try to compare your journey, you're just going to, you're just going to get upset. And the truth is the grass is not always greener. You know, like I I have so many friends, women I've worked with, even my own experience of like, you know, when you do all the, the right things, quote unquote, that doesn't mean you're going to love it. That doesn't mean you're going to have the bond that you dream of having. Um, you know, there's, for example, and I'll, I'll get personal for a second, because I think it's so important to hear that, you know, there's this beautiful photo shoot that I did of nursing my first baby. And it really, like, I felt so authentic and beautiful and seen but only because I know what's deeper behind those pictures, you know, behind mm -hmm. those pictures was that was like probably the last week we were going to nurse because I had such bad postpartum depression and nursing for me wasn't helping. It felt like pressure. My milk supply wasn't as, as, um, what superfluous as, as other women have it for them. And, you know, there was just so much pressure. And as a therapist that, you know, I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to be good at this mothering thing. And I read everything I can on attachment parenting. I did all the right things, if you will, right? I did immediate skin to skin. I did delayed cord clamping. I nursed immediately. I had the vaginal delivery. Like I, all the things that they say work, right? Baby wearing, all of the things. And honestly, it took me a while to feel connected to my baby. And mm -hmm. I don't have shame around that. I actually think it's really healing to be genuine about that because my second baby, I did nothing right, if you will. I gave him <laughs> formula immediately because I was like, I'm not going down that rabbit hole of putting pressure on myself this time. And he had so many health issues and we had so much more likelihood of having postpartum depression that second round statistically speaking. And honestly, I had such a powerful bond with him, even though he was colicky and sick and in and out of an intensive care unit, because I did not put the pressure on myself like I did the first time. And so mm -hmm. I think this internal pressure, this sense of perfectionism, this inner critic, this idea that we should do it this specific way, whether it's how you feed your baby or where they sleep, you know, oh, that question gets me of like, oh, is, is the baby good? Is the baby a good sleeper? No, it's a baby. Like <laughs> they're, mm -hmm. they're not sleeping. No one's sleeping. You know, I think all of those things come from both our inner experience and expectation and then the outer pressure. And honestly, I found parenting so much more enjoyable the second round, even though we had so many more issues in our path. Mm 
because I let go of the expectation to do it right or how I thought I should do. And instead, I let myself just follow what felt right in the moment. And that is what I empower all of the women that I work with and the families that I work with to do is to listen to their gut, to listen to their intuition, to silence that noise, that pressure, that judgment, both internally and externally, and allow themselves to really focus more on genuine connection with their baby. Mm-hmm. You know, when I gave myself permission to let all that go, that's when the genuine connection came into play. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it came after I gave up breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I hear that a lot. I, I know that a lot of parents come to me, especially in the beginning when they, when they are feeling pressure, um, because, you know, they're struggling with, maybe they're struggling with sleep and the mom's like, well, I would really love to be able to give the baby a bottle, like have my partner give the baby a bottle so I can just get a little bit more sleep, but we're not supposed to introduce bottles for four weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that, that is the guideline, right? But we don't, we don't exactly live in a society that supports that either. Like some of the moms I'm working with are going back to work after two weeks. So are you, what are you going to do? Like tell them they can't give a bottle or, right. you know, you're supposed to hold off on waiting to give a pacifier. But honestly, if I have like a one week old baby and I'm driving down the highway and that baby's screaming in the back seat, I'm going to pop a passy in that because that's yeah. not safe. I'll take it out <laughs> when we get home. But so there's like, yeah. there's guidelines and then there's having those guidelines fit into your life in a way that works for you. So yeah you know, ideally you would wait four weeks before introducing a bottle. If you're breastfeeding, we don't live in an ideal world. So you just do the best that you can to fit those guidelines in your life. And then you don't stress out about it. But I do find that when families like, especially families who are like triple feeding. So they're, they're, they're breastfeeding, then pumping and then supplementing with a bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I just tell them like, okay, when overnight, how about you just pump and bottle feed and not breastfeed? And they're always like, we can do that. And I'm like, yes, there's no, like yeah. get some more sleep here. Like save daytime for working on the breastfeeding. Like, yes, you yes. should do all three ideally, but you know what else? Like takes milk supply, severe sleep deprivation. So let's find mm-hmm. a balance here. Yeah. And severe sleep deprivation also really contributes to risk factor of having postpartum adjustment issues, mood disorder, anxiety, all of those things. And so sleep, nutrition, all of these things, you know, we think about the babies first and society really fills that thought process by only like the minute the baby's here, all anyone really asks about is the baby. And it's really like, how's the parents? How's the mom doing? How's the dad doing? How are they adjusting? And I think, you know, the more I think certain personalities tend to go more towards by the book kind of thing, like perfectionistic mentality or being introverted can be really hard as well when you're not used to having to care for someone else all the time and you need individual space. And so I think the more we feel out of control, the more we try to find control by following rules, right? And that's where a lot of these rules, you know, they are meant to be guidelines and to be helpful, but when we follow them with this rigidity versus this fluidity and freedom to follow what feels right for us, that's where it can become problematic. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's more about following the spirit behind the rule and not the rule itself to a letter, to a T, you know, because exactly. yes, you should avoid bottles because this can happen, but you need, you, you need to give a bottle. So how can we prevent that from happening, but still give bottles, like things like that? Like, how can we adjust things? 
And I think even bigger, deeper layer than that is giving yourself permission to take care of you, you know, Mm -hmm. like whether that means taking a shower, whether that means asking for help and getting a nap in, you know, all of that makes you as a parent more capable to be present with your baby when you are with them. And it's all about the quality, you know, not Mm -hmm. the quantity. And I think, you know, one of the first things I dealt with was like, I need to be the most bonded with my baby. And so I will be the only one feeding him and the only one doing everything. And I didn't let anybody help me. And it was really contributing to negative impact on my mental health. And so, you know, I think normalizing that it's okay to ask for help, you know, they say it takes a village, but we live so isolated in this world now where so many people have family that don't live nearby and don't feel like they can tell their friends what's really going on. And so the more we break the stigma of, oh, you know, everyone's going well, except me and make it more normal of like, no, a lot of people are struggling and it's okay to not be okay. This is a huge transition and life adjustment. The more there's permission to just be, you know, Mm -hmm. and permission to let go of the judgment of how it should be and instead embrace and surrender to what it is. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. And I think that takes work. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't come easy with my first. I was so, I, and I was young again. So I think I naturally felt defensive because, and it was all in my head. This wasn't actually mm-hmm. going on, but in my head, I was thinking that people were judging me because I was so young. Like she's not yes. ready to be a parent. She's not going to be good at this. So anytime like someone gave me like the slightest look or the slightest comment that made me feel like they were judging my parenting choices, I would like absolutely lose it. Not like yelling and stuff, but internally I'd be like, oh my gosh. And I would just cling to those rules that I was trying to follow even, even more as a way to prove like, I can do this. I can be a good parent. You're wrong about me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and they weren't, they weren't even thinking that. That was just like my own, my own like self-esteem issues coming out into play. And that's where, you know, this reparenting can be really healing in the postpartum space of, you know, tuning into what's the part of me. We all have these different parts of our ego. And like, so what's the part of me that feels like I need to people please or be perfect or look good. Where does that even come from? You know, and then tuning into your wisest, most knowing self, which is giving yourself permission to love and find compassion and less judgment, more love and acceptance, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's this place for reparenting these parts of us that are bullies, that are critical, that are trying to make it all look good. And really answering to them, kind of questioning and challenging, like, is anyone even looking? Is anyone Mm -hmm. even judging? And if they are, that's on them, right? If they're Mm -hmm. judging, it's because they have their own insecurities too. And so, you know, that's where their work is. And so it's about not taking anything personally, but also creating space for really being okay with who you are. You know, Mm -hmm. the good enough mothering, good enough parenting philosophy to me is so empowering because as long as at the end of the day, you're aligning with your core values of like loving your child, being present with them as often as possible, but in like a deep, really meaningful way versus having to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that creates space for authenticity versus all of this pressure and expectation that we put on ourselves. Right. Right. And I think for some parents, they need like some gentle nudging or I have a lot of parents that come to me that just, they're just looking for permission to stop breastfeeding. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're miserable. Their nipples are cracking, bleeding. They are 
losing sleep and in their mind, trying to like increase milk supply. And I can't even tell you how many times I've looked at parents and said, this doesn't sound like anything that you are enjoying or, or loving. And you're going to, you know, spend your whole paternity or paternity leave working on this. Is that something that you're going to regret? Like sometimes I've just come right on and said, this doesn't really sound like something that you want to be doing. And they're like, yeah, but it's good for the baby. And I'm always like, well, what could his breast milk if the parent can't function? And the relief that like comes on their face because they're like, oh, I can stop. I can stop Mm -hmm. and it's going to be okay. And I don't have to put myself through this. Yeah. It's like that permission slip, you know? Yeah. It's really, really healing to get permission to just take Mm. care of you, put the oxygen on you so that you can be best for your baby. And sometimes that means not following what society tells us is best. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that means giving up breastfeeding or asking for help in a way that might feel really new and uncomfortable for us. And, you know, all of that is really healing as well, because mm-hmm. when, you, when you first get the permission externally, you then start to give yourself internal permission as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's a little sad that parents can't give themselves that permission, but that's, that's the society we live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think the more, you know, that we follow other social media platform, you know, through different platforms, follow people who are saying these things, the better, you know, another Mm -hmm. kind of movement I really love to follow is the body positive movement where they show Mm -hmm. different bodies and different shapes and sizes, pregnant, not pregnant and showing that this is normal too. You know, Mm -hmm. we only are given by the media, one image and, you know, how celebrities just get their body back right away. And it's just, <laughs> it's so unrealistic and it's just such it's unneeded pressure, you know? Mm. And so I think the more we are selective in who we surround ourselves with energetically, both on social media, who we follow, and even who we spend our time with, the more we create space that feels good, where we can be our true selves. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really very, very valuable in creating shame, resilience, and healing. Yeah. And I wish I had that. I wish that body positivity movement was more um, in the mainstream when I had babies. I just remember with my first, I struggled so hard. I had such hard postpartum depression. I had gained a lot of weight because of the depression. And I remember it was not even like two weeks after I had her and we took her to see some family members. And one of the family members said, Oh, before you know it, you'll be back in those pre-pregnancy genes. And I remember feeling so discouraged because I was struggling with so many things at that time. And my body and my weight had not even crossed my mind. Like Mm -hmm. I was not even thinking about it. But then when they said that, I was just like, Oh, that's another, that's another thing that I have to do. That's another thing that, you know, and I just remember thinking like, I'm not going to be able to do this and I'm going to feel, and it's just like, and I'm sure they didn't intend to have that be a harmful comment. I mean, I know they didn't, they were just trying to be positive and stuff for me, but it was just like, that is not what I need to hear right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of times with all different things, people say things, even sometimes well-intentioned but they can feel hurtful. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times I I like to help my clients envision like 
a bubble of protection around them where it's like they choose the energy that they're going to take in. They choose the language, the thoughts, the messaging. And you can say, you know, I choose not to take that into how I want to look at the world Mm -hmm. or that's their stuff, not mine. That's not about me, you know? And so giving yourself permission to like envision this metaphorical bubble around you and then you get to decide what permeates, what comes in, what you absorb and what you kind of deflect and say, you know what? I'm not going to take on that pressure Mm -hmm. right now. I've got enough on my plate. I so wish I had those tools in place. I had a loss too after my second and I got the whole like, well, he's in a better place now. And I remember oh, like, do you realize what you're it. saying? You were yeah. saying that it is better for my baby to be dead than yeah. in my arms. Like, first of all, and second of all, I don't share your same beliefs, but, and yes, it's, it's like well-intentioned, but I'm also like, you're making this a thousand times worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that comes from people being really uncomfortable talking about grief and pain Mm -hmm. and it triggers their own stuff about mortality. And, you know, people just want to like make everything better, right? Fix, Mm -hmm. fix, fix versus like really what therapy and healing and this work is all about is creating room for the uncomfortable feelings, you Mm -hmm. know, allowing them to be there and giving space for you to handle the grief in whatever way feels authentic to you without Mm -hmm. that pressure. You know, another one that I hear all the time is like, especially for parents who are dealing with secondary infertility or a loss, like you said, after they've already had a baby, well, at least you have one. Well, that doesn't go anywhere close to remotely validating the Mm -hmm. pain, the loss, the grief, and what that means for how you envisioned your family, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think people say a lot of the wrong things, even well-intentioned and or not. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think having this kind of emotional protective bubble of like, I am not taking that one in. (laughs) I am not letting that permeate, you know, giving yourself permission to not have to take on everyone else's stuff either is really, Mm -hmm. really powerful. 100%. How do parents recognize if they have trauma that they need to work through and that they need help doing it? That is such a good question. No one's ever asked me that in that way. I love that question. Um, think you recognize so part of it is we tend to very often minimize our own pain and our own experiences and we'll, a lot of clients will come to me and say like but no one ever beat me so I didn't have childhood trauma and then I'll ask you know did you feel safe to speak did you feel safe to feel your feelings did you feel allowed to express yourself you know I think everyone interprets their experiences differently. And so I see both ends of the spectrum where some some people will come and they have such perfect parents in their eyes that they're striving to be like their parents were versus letting themselves evolve into their own version of who they are as parents. So that's one side of it. And that's not necessarily trauma, but it's also like how we're impacted by our childhood. But I think, you know, some signs that you've had trauma that are worth working through are, you know, if you feel triggered by your children, if you feel this lack of control or this sense of powerlessness, if you feel like you're not comfortable allowing your emotions to be there and expressing all of them, you know, the full spectrum, not just happiness and joy and peace, but also anger and sadness and grief and allowing those feelings to be there. If those are uncomfortable, that is kind of a sign that therapy can be helpful where you create that space with the clinician to support you in working through it. Um, 
And a lot of times people don't necessarily even remember some of their trauma until their kids hit certain ages that they may have experienced it. So it could be like if you were really bullied as a teenager and then, you know, you kind of have squashed that down, but then your child becomes a teenager and you're worried about how they're going to be in school because you don't want what happened to you to happen to them. And so a lot of times people with trauma will like overcompensate, like if they felt like they had an absent parent, they'll be super, super present helicopter style. And, you know, part of our work is helping them back off and helping them allow their children independence. And, you know, others will be really uncomfortable with emotions. And so they'll need to numb out in order to tolerate it until we do therapy to help them, you know, be okay with big feelings. And so I think substance use is a sign that you're numbing stuff. I think not being comfortable with having communication with your partner is signs that you may have trauma or attachment trauma is a really big piece of this puzzle as well. You know, how we attach to our parents, whether it was anxious or ambivalent or, you know, feeling secure, all of these things are avoidant, all of these ways of attachment translate into our children if we don't do the healing work to have a sense of secure attachment within ourselves, within our partners, and, and then eventually within our children. Love it. 100%. And as you were saying that stuff about teenagers, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, sounds like me. And it, and that's the thing is it pops up at different phases and ages of like whatever part in you has maybe a, a wound or a sore, if you will, and needs to be nurtured, loved and healed. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, for you, that might be that, that inner teen self who's like, oh my God, I don't want my baby to go through that like I did. That was terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. And part of this is not about preventing or protecting our children from all bad things because everyone is going to experience traumatic things in their life, but it's about building resiliency building a sense of safety and connection where they know that no matter what they do, no matter what happens, that that you love them, you accept them as they are and as they aren't, and that they can always come to you. You know, we can't prevent the bullying necessarily, but we can create a space where they feel safe to talk about it and unravel and not be judged for what they're going through. You know, that's Mm -hmm. our job as parents is fostering independence, self-confidence, self-esteem, and resilience. Mm -hmm. And giving them the tools that they need. Exactly. And part of that is being okay with our own feelings first so mm-hmm. that we can model, you know, like you said in the beginning, even if you yell, it's, it's, you're human, right? But what do you do with that? You own it, you communicate it, you apologize, you share with them your intention and how you want a parent, you know? Mm-hmm. And even that is teaching them that they're going to have big feelings and this is how they can handle their big feelings, just like we are. So we're modeling all of that for them. Mm-hmm. Love it. One last question, Marissa, if you wanted parents to know one thing, what would it be? I have two. I couldn't, I tried really hard to come up with one. (laughs) I think good enough parenting is good enough. You know, like if we drop this perfectionistic mentality and this, you know, idea that it has to appear so good. And instead we just get real and authentic and allow ourselves to just listen to our own intuition and our own connection with our kids versus having to appear all the ways that we think we're supposed to be or should be. 
It's all about good enough parenting, the value of making them feel loved, creating a sense of safety for them. That's mm -hmm. the bottom line. Everything else, like a clean house and all that is extra. Do you want it to be in total disarray? No, because that creates a lack of safety for them. But that doesn't mean there's not a, some clutter here and there on the counters, right? And so it's also about not being an all or nothing mentality, but finding the space in between, which is really that authentic space. And then the other thing is that we can break cycles. Trauma is not something that has to permeate through generation after generation. You know, there's studies and research that shows at a brain level that it does, but we have power and can be empowered to do our own healing as parents so that we create as much shame resilience in ourselves and in our children as possible. I love it. I love everything you just said. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I mean it all. I mean, like the passion that I feel for cycle breaking and mm -hmm. perfectionist breaking and authenticity is really, really important in this world of motherhood, parenting and, and the whole phase of, of life that many millennials and beyond are in right now. Mm -hmm. 100%. Your cat is beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. She, she's a therapy cat. Whenever I'm in, in session or on a call like this, she likes to yeah. make herself known. She's a calico and mm -hmm. she, she has such a gorgeous pattern. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely, you know, one, it's so funny you say that. Cause I think like in my head, I had this idea that cool people are dog people. And I only, even the last few years have let myself really embrace, like I'm a cat person like I love cats and that's okay right like yeah. so we have like the social stigma of like the crazy cat lady like mm -hmm. I love cats and, and I think even embracing that and being comfortable saying like what I like and don't like these are new things when you grow up feeling like you have to seem a certain way and society tells you like all the cool people like dogs well it's like no I, I like cats so it's even mm -hmm. empowering to be able to say that and to like speak for what you like and don't like you know, mm -hmm. that gives our kids permission too. you know, one thing and last but not least that comes up is like all the time we pressure our kids to like give someone a hug hello when maybe they don't want that and they want that body autonomy to not have to hug someone. And, mm -hmm. you know, socially, we're supposed to have warm, friendly kids who are sweet to everyone and whatever. But what if we just say, you know, give them a choice? Would you like to say hello to them? Would you like to give them a hug or a high five or just wave, you know, like giving mm -hmm. them those choices and the permission of body autonomy. It's kind of setting the stage of you don't have to people please. You don't have to do what society tells you. You can stand up for what you like and don't like, and it's okay mm -hmm. to have those things. Yep. Absolutely. Weird <laughs> side <people>. note. <laughs> yes. I and I do agree with that. And I wish... I wish I had known that because I've had, I've heard that in the like the last eight years or so of, of parents saying, um, no, you, he doesn't have to give you a hug or a kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? So they can find me on my website, marissahughes.com. Um, it's Marissa with one S, marissahughes.com. You can find me on Facebook. My business page is Marissa Hughes LCSW and on Instagram at repairing while parenting. Okay. And I'll put those in the show notes. Perfect. All right. Sounds Thank good. you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I really hope that this spoke to someone who needed to know that it's okay to just be good enough. Mm -hmm. Good <laughs> enough. Love it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. 
Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.